This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous full-time champs and feel the power! It's a new day, yes it is! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio. We are glad to have you. We are headed into week nine. It's crazy. Week nine. Uh, a heck of a week in week eight. A lot to talk about. We'll break down the games that happened this previous week. We will preview the games that are coming up. And to do so, we have our wizard, our guru, our creator of the Beta Rank Advanced College Football Statistical Model, Mr. Rob Bowron. What's going on, Rob? Oh, I'm excited to be here. I had a I had a good week, but the model had a great week uh, against the spread. Just a, a huge week, and uh, it was enjoyable. I'd been going back and forth with Purdue for some Big Ten fans about Purdue being better than their record, and I ended up being right. It's always nice. It's always nice to say, you know what? Unlike David Shaw, I appreciate math and. <laughs> We're going to get into that in a moment here. But I should mention, so uh, Wildcat Radio got sponsored by my bookie. We might give him a little plug here, too. But uh, five of the six hosts of our podcast network are above 500 and by a lot. And that, by the way, was driven by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Rick Powell, who was 5-1 and one on the week against the spread. What's going on, Rick? What's going on, guys? The IRS is starting to ask a lot of questions, so I, I, I'm not really going to go – too far into detail about how I'm doing so far this year. Um, but you know, it's a lot of fun. Rob's model definitely helps me. Um, you know, I, I do have to give him a shout out. I kind of started to attribute, you know, based on percentages, certain points and, uh, you know, I'm making bets that way. So thanks a lot, Rob, my, my checking account. Thanks you. <laughs> well, you're better at it than I am, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Rick had a heck of a week, uh, but we all, all everybody, but Ronnie did everybody, but Ronnie did let's, Let's talk big picture Pac-12 here. You know, we try to find a theme every week of what happened. And I think this was a moment of clarity week where the the best teams, you know, last week was kind of the sorting hat and everybody was kind of put it. Now, now we know who the elite teams are. And I think in the South, it's definitely Utah. In the North, it's Washington State. And I don't know if there's anybody really in between there right now. But Rob, does, is that a fair assessment? What, what was your big picture kind of vision for what happened in week eight? No, I mean, we look back at that Washington State-Utah game that was buried on the Pac-12 network and which was a one-possession game won by Washington State at home and just think, man, like, did, did everyone watch that? Like, I did. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that, may, that may have turned out to be like a, a preview of the, the Pac-12 title game. I think with Washington State, there's it's, it's a little clearer in the South. I mean, Utah has really stepped forward. Their offense is clicking. Um, they already had a very, very good defense and special team. So if their offense is clicking, like that was always the big watch out with this team. Like if they could get the offense rolling, what, you know, like they could be very, very good. Um, 
and really with Utah now, like they've gotten through the bulk of their really tough games on their schedule. Uh, and they, they sort of seized control a bit with that, you know, that you know, beat down of USC for the North. It's, it's a little less clear. Um, Washington state, you would say certainly sort of sits in the driver's seat, but now Washington again, sort of controls their own destiny as well. Cause if Washington can knock off, um, Washington State, then they would certainly um, move on uh, into the Pac-12 title game yet again. Um, but it'd be inter- I'm interested to see that you know Stanford is sort of lurking. I mean, not that I think that Stanford has played nearly as well up to this point um, as either Washington or Washington State has. But um, Stanford certainly has the opportunity with both Washington State and Washington still to play that, you know, they could make a move as well. And they, they already have that win over Oregon sitting in their back pocket. One thing to mention that I realized after listening to the podcast last week was when uh, we were kind of trying to breeze through the Utah-Arizona game because we talk about this on Wildcat Radio all the time. We're trying to avoid that. But the one thing that I didn't mention is like that uh, Utah did okay. No, Utah stomped on Arizona and looked good doing it. And then Utah went and stomped on USC and looked really good doing it. I would argue that USC and Arizona aren't great teams. But if you are a program that wants to make that next step and take a leap as a program and get to that title game and likely win, then that's what you have to do to an Arizona. And that's what you have to do to a USC team that really can't move the ball. And Utah did that. Rick, uh, when you take a look at Utah, do you think that this is a team that could win in a Pac-12 title game from what you've seen so far? I think the Pac-12 is just kind of so all over the place, especially in the South this year. I mean, with uh, Utah beating USC, that, that gave them their third win in Pac-12 play, so that gives them the tiebreaker over USC. But looking at the South all over the place, I mean, Arizona has two Pac-12 wins. UCLA now has two Pac-12 wins. So, I mean, that that matchup between Arizona and UCLA was huge um, as far as the South. So, I mean, really, you only have ASU in the South that has one Pac-12 win. Everyone else has two or more. So it's not like the Pac-12 South is spoken for, but I do think that Utah has definitely established the, the, established themselves, along with Colorado, as probably the, the two teams that are in the best position to win the South. Now, that being said, I do think that Washington State is the best chance for the Pac-12 to get a representative into the college football playoff this year. Um, but it seems like it's another one of those years where, especially with this Ohio State loss, the Pac-12 is just going to cannibalize themselves. Um, and, you know, from week to week, you know, you go in thinking one thing is going to happen, but then something else completely different happens. And nobody's really separated themselves from the pack, um, you know, and that's that's ultimately what leads to situations where we don't have a representative in that college football playoff. So it's looking more and more to me like that's going to be, uh, you know, one of those years. But I would be down to watch like a Washington State, Utah Pac-12 championship game. I think that that would be a a pretty good matchup. Yeah, it'd be very fun. The one thing to mention, you talked about the wins that Arizona and UCLA have in the Pac-12 South. That's because Kelly and someone have sent assorted chocolates and gift baskets to the uh, Oregon State and Cal programs. Those teams are the worst. And you just saw the disparity between both of them. When Cal dropped a 49-burger on Oregon State, that Cal, that mighty Cal offense just opening up a can on, uh, on Corvallis 
Dallas and all those fans down there. I thought that was quite interesting. I think the other big thing that I saw this week was the fact that you saw the bottom like crater, basically. I mean, the pillow fight between UCLA and Arizona, uh, both teams, even though there was about 60 points scored in that game, that <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever. And then you have Oregon State and Cal uh, just uh, going going at it and Cal obviously getting the better of them, but obviously has lost a number of games to programs that are in that bottom feeder area. What were some other things that been big picture items that you saw, Rob? I think Stanford's defense played better than I was expecting against Arizona State. I think Arizona State really shot themselves in the foot. The receivers weren't sharp. Manny Wilkins wasn't sharp. There's a lot that I think they could point to out of that game, um, including three turnovers. But um, Stanford's defense has sort of quietly played better, quietly played better than expected. Oh sure, uh, and that, that, bodes, that bodes well. I think for sorry, I was I was both clearing my throat and trying to talk. Um, that uh, I think that bodes well for Stanford. They could be lurking for both Washington or Washington State coming coming up. Yeah, that'll be interesting. The Washington Colorado game, I thought was. I, I switched my pick at the end because I thought that Lavisca Chenault would have that big of an impact, and he almost did. Washington almost ended up covering there. Um, that, this is a typical Washington game, right? You know, the defense steps up, Colorado makes some mistakes, and uh, and Washington ends up taking care of business at home. And I've I, I would like to see the statistics on this, but it seems like Washington, when they play at home, just we always talk about Jake Branning and, and that team and the problem. They just it seems that they almost cover any time that they're at home. They like surprisingly cover and play well. And they almost did that against Colorado, although Colorado came out pretty hot. And so did USC. Holy goodness. Like <laughs> USC gets the fat guy touchdown, which is pretty fun to watch. And then, uh, and then again, Utah just uh, stomps on them. Rick, anything else that you saw kind of hovering in the nebulous of the PAC 12 week eight, before we get into sleazy bets and some other items? Well, as far as like the Washington Colorado game was concerned, I was I was really surprised that Colorado kind of went away from their game plan a little bit, um, especially as far as like trying to establish the run. I mean, Trevon McMillan ran the ball twenty five times for only eighty six yards, so they I, I think that that's really where Colorado kind of shot themselves in the foot. Let Montez go to work, man. And uh, I realize that that's a stout Washington secondary, but you have to put your money, you have to put your chips on on, on your players. Uh, and I, I thought that Steven Montez probably could have, uh, I, I thought the play calling could have been geared more towards his talents, um, than, than any kind of establishment of, of the running game. Um, and then as far as the, uh, Washington state and Oregon game was concerned, that was the one game that I got wrong. So I went five and one this week. Uh, the only reason I didn't go six and zero was cause I completely forgot. I dropped the ball on this. I completely forgot that Washington state was hosting ESPN College Game Day for the first time ever. Uh, had I had I remembered that, I definitely would have bet on Washington State this week um, and, and gone the six and zero. But I, I thought that that was a really kind of neat thing to uh, to to see College Game Day go there uh, to Pullman for the first time. Uh, and Washington State, it seems like they really showed up in, in spades and uh, and represented the Pac-12 well. So shout out to them and their fan base for doing that. I'm glad you brought that up, Rick. I always watch the end of college game day. It's, it's this little thing with our family. The girls sit down and watch the silly man put the hat on. And then first, uh, my friend was at a lot of these college game days. He's always in the window and he has these signs. So they have mistaken him for Dave Pash. Like they thought that he was my friend. So they think that Dave Pash is my friend. Anytime he announces the Bill Walton it's great. But uh, with that said, did anybody watch any of the college game day? I just didn't have a chance to catch most of it. 
I, I watched probably a good two thirds of it. I, you know, it, just, it depends on what time I wake up in the morning, how many beers I had to drink the night before, um, how willing I am to listen to Lee Corso that early in the morning. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I thought, you know, and once I turned it on, I was like, Oh, yeah, that's right. It's in Pullman. And I had completely forgotten at that point that, uh, that I needed to go in and change my pick. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Right on. Rob, did you get a chance to watch any of that? No, I, uh, I I do the morning shift watching the toddlers so I can try to free up the afternoons for football. Okay. So. Okay. Um, are, we miss, are we missing anything else before we get into uh, week nine? Do you want to talk about Larry Scott right now? Y- yes. Or do you well, want to wait? Always. Always. <laughs> Let's start, it, start it up, man. Let's fire this engine up. Oh, my God. So, so Larry Scott um just he went on john canzano who's a reporter for the or i believe for the or he's a columnist i should say for the oregonian he also hosts a radio show um larry scott went on the radio show and it was a little bit heated almost in between canzano and larry scott because um canzano basically called him out and said like don't you have a written replay procedure and shouldn't you have been following that? Were you following that? You know, like how did you end up at this point where, you know, like you're untrained, you know, like general legal counsel. counsel is, yeah. Yeah. The general counsel is overriding, you know, PAC 12 officials. And Scott basically said like, I don't know, I've never seen it. You know, like I'm sure, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Like he's not even sure that there is one. Um, but it was really testy in the whole exchange about it uh, and basically told Kenzano to like pound sand like he only reports to the presidents. Um, <laughs> then the Oregonian, like the day of the game uh, of the Oregon Washington State game, so Saturday, gets a hold of the Pac 12 like replay, <laughs> written down replay policy. <laughs> Which of course is like is, a I mean, frown- says, is it just a big frowny face on like a line sheet of paper? No, That's what I mean, I assume it's, it like, would be. it's like reasonably thought well thought out, I suppose. But of course they didn't follow it. Um, and then, uh, but it's even worse because like that. And of course, like you know, it exists. You know, Larry Scott's basically saying like he's not even sure if there is one, even though he's the CEO of this company, uh, essentially, uh, and the CEO of the conference. Um, and then. Larry Scott does an interview with um, reporters at halftime of the Washington State Oregon game and has another set of testy exchanges where he basically says, like, he doesn't answer to the fans. He only answers to the presidents. Um, just I mean, I just I it's hard to it is it's hard to watch Larry Scott at this point and just not feel the general contempt that I think he feels for Pac-12 fans and fan bases, <laughs> actually. Like, and I know that's a big statement to say, but I think that that, I think we have reached the point that that is actually true and it's coming out. The thing on my end that is confusing is he talks about being um, beholden to the presidents and you're starting to see some of the presidents come out, like uh, not even the presidents, the coaches. You saw Mike Leach send some text oh, messages it was yeah. on Twitter that would kind of lit him up. I'm just surprised that there hasn't been more public pushback. I know it's happened a little bit more the last couple of years, but um, I don't always like to bring up Arizona. I'm going to use them as an example here, but when there was a, um, there have been a number of contentious things that happen with Arizona. Anytime Arizona wins the title um, at, whether it's at Arizona or it's at uh, the Las Vegas uh, strip, like 
Larry Scott comes out in the entire Arizona fan boos him. The entire fan base, like 15,000 fans uh, just have open contempt for him. Probably the same, (laughs) the same amount that he has for, for Arizona fans. But I know it's not just Wildcat fans. Like, we follow a ton of beat writers and fans from every fan base from Utah to Washington state to Oregon and Oregon state. And like the one common denominator between all of them is a complete frustration over the handling of the PAC 12. And, and like, I think there has been some good stuff. I love having Kate Scott on. I think she's an excellent interview. She's a good advocate for uh, the conference. Yogi Roth does some really fun stuff. I like some of the shows. I like the way that they change stuff up with that said, it just seems that, that the presidents and the coaches would be more vocal when it comes to obviously the game time, the exposure. I mean, the fact that you had uh, what game was it this week that was on the Pac-12 uh, network that should have been? It was Utah U- USC. Yeah, Utah USC. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that stuff that is fixable, and it's frustrating that you don't see like Rick. Why? Why don't the coaches and the presidents? Why aren't well, they more vocal about it? And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Absolutely, you should have USC versus Utah on Pac-12 Network if Pac-12 Network is available nationwide, which it's not, because for whatever reason, Directv feels that they can't sell it in the East Coast, which is probably right. Uh, you know, from a business standpoint on Directv, but that's because the Pac-12 hasn't built their product under Larry Scott. Um, you know, for the last it was eight nine years now that Larry Scott has been. In charge of the Pac-12, the Pac-12 has become incredibly stagnant as far as its national picture is 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 uh, a concern. Yeah, yeah, we won a lot of national championships in sports like uh, synchronized swimming and uh, you, you know volleyball, you know sand volleyball and things like that. Like, yeah, we have a lot of really awesome programs all over the Pac-12 here. Um, you know, and and they should definitely have their shot to be televised. But unless you're able to take the Pac-12 to a different plane as far as national um, uh, recognition is concerned, you're not going to be able to sell that product anywhere other than the States on the West coast. And, uh, Larry Scott has not been the man to, to reshape the image of, of the PAC 12 in order to do that. Um, so at this point, I think it's definitely time, you know, it's probably really overdue to get some fresh eyes in, uh, you know, and some fresh blood to see what it's going to take in order to raise the national prominence of the PAC 12. Yeah, this is another year we're not going to make the championship. And some of that stuff doesn't have to do, I mean, like, you know, the schools make their decisions on their coaches. But, you know, it was interesting when the SEC, they were making so much money at football. They basically said the conference said, it wasn't just the coaches, the conference said, here's, you have truckloads of money. Go friggin' spend it on some good college basketball coaches. I would argue that they all made mistakes and lit all that money on fire by picking their college basketball coaches. But at least it was a conference-wide strategy. So, um, Rob, you can have the last word here before we get into our mybookie.ag sleazy bet segment. Well, I mean, Larry Scott, he he made a big bet with the Pac-12 Networks, and he did not bring in a partner. So, like, the Fox owns a hat, you know, roughly 49% of the Big Ten Network. ESPN owns 49% of the SEC Network. What that allows them to do is to use the negotiating leverage of ESPN and Fox to get into those lower cable tiers, to get into more houses. So more houses, even if you don't watch football, are paying to see or are paying to have, you know, the Big Ten or the SEC network in place. That's the the, the revenue disparity at this point is is I think believe like fifteen million dollars a year per school. 
Um, so the Pac-12 owns all of the networks outright, but it's unable because it doesn't have the negotiating power of a major business partner to, to get the leverage to get into more households across the country. Um, that was Larry Scott's big bet. He is the highest paid conference commissioner by a country mile, and he is delivering $15 million less per year. You know, that would be that would be bad if you were, those are the results you were delivering. But if on top of it, you are also delivering just unbelievable incompetence topped off with a layer of arrogance. Like it just blows my mind that this is the, this is where we are. Well, good times guys. Uh, (laughs) let's, uh, let's stop there and get into our segment. We like to call the sleazy bets. Hey, um, can I get some PAC 12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Actual gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, all right. We are back, and we got sponsored, guys. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, money. Money is good. Money is great. Uh, no, a big thanks to uh, mybookie.ag, which is a sports book. And, you know, watching football is fun and it's entertaining. It's up. you got to have some skin in the game. I mean, that's really when, when, it, when it gets real. And I think this is a good partnership. Our podcast, we continuously talk about betting against the spread. So if you're an expert or a rookie, like, you should go to mybookie. It is uh, an excellent site. It's one of the more premium uh respected uh books out there uh they also have like roulette and and all that stuff but i really want to focus on college football because you can do the parlays you pick three teams you hit all three you win a lot of money that's rick's move right rick you're into the parlays um i i'm into so what i like to do especially during college basketball season is like i'll pick out five or six games that i'm pretty confident that i'm gonna win and then i'll i'll, I'll group everything into a parlay and i'll just i'll just play that um, I hit them every once in a while. Um, you, you know, when they're three or four, I, I, the, the most that I've ever hit is a sixer. Um, I put a 10, a 10 spot parlay in one time when we were in Vegas and I missed it on the very last game Friggin' grand Canyon university didn't cover the spread. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I missed out on a couple thousand dollars that night, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a way to kind of like increase the, the revenue that you get, um, by kind of doubling down essentially for not as much money on what you think are going to be your correct bets. So, you know, you just look at your games, take the ones that you feel really, really confident about, group them into like a $5 bet make some extra money yeah i mean it's kind of fun you can turn 100 into 600 you can turn five into 20 depending on the bets i like to do uh, games just one-on-one I, i'm a little bit more conservative you know i'll just take one game one game at a time but playoff baseball's here you got the nfl the nfl playoffs are coming up you have college football college basketball um get some skin in the game with my bookie it's a really good book um i highly recommend them a couple things look if you're on the sidelines and you've been waiting uh my bookie is going to right now if you log on to my bookie uh, they will double your money if you use the promo code wildcat and you uh, deposit more than a hundred dollars they will match it a hundred percent so you double your money on what you can bet which is awesome that's uh, promo code wildcat so i actually just did this and it worked <laughs> and the reason i did is it is always good to have multiple books so right now i was working with one book and um and i was kind of stuck with the lines that they have so right like you know uh they post one line at three and a half and i don't have anywhere else to compare so i opened my 
account with MyBookie. I got the 100% bonus. Uh, I have the $200 in the account now. And now, like, a great example is the Washington State game. Uh, it, it's three and a half at MyBookie. It's three at the other one that I use. So I can get that extra half point. So you always want to shop. You always want to look around w- with your bets, particularly the futures. Um, if you're making future bets, that could be the difference between hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, depending on how much you're betting, depending on what lines you get, where you know you want to take Oregon to win the Pac-12. You know, uh, one book will have it at 12 to 1. One book will have it at 6 to 1. And you want to make sure to get the 12 to 1. Um, so log on to my bookie. We'll actually put the link into our show notes. We'll also put the link uh, on our Twitter account and our Facebook account. Uh, if you click on the link, you use the promo code Wildcat. They will double your money. And this is not an offer they're going to have uh, for the long haul. So I think this is like a, a couple week promo that they're going to do. So definitely take advantage of it. Check it out. And our thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast. It's always fun when they give us a chance and we're looking forward to it. So uh, check out that link, uh, the promo code Wildcat, double your money when you uh, make your first deposit. And uh, they should do it really soon because if my bookie is going to match my deposit and give me more money to gamble with, I'm probably going to win enough money to shut down the site here pretty soon. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Like, roll with this, man. Like, we're doing pretty well this year. I'm not going to promise that we're going to do this well next year, although we probably will. Um, we, we've been we've been grinding and doing a pretty good job. So if you want to join the fun, uh, check out my bookie and let, let's get into this, guys. Um, Friday at 7.30. By the way, so the, the sleazy bets is when we talk about the week nine games, we do give a preview. What we do is we go game by game. We talk about what game is coming up, and then we talk about how the teams that are playing in week nine did in the previous week, so in week eight. So the first one being Friday at 7.30, Utah is an 11 point. By the way, all these lines are on my book. Yeah, I pulled them away from uh, from the other, <laughs> other books. These are all on the site. Uh, Friday at 7.30 p.m., Utah is an 11 point favorite at UCLA um Utah had a great game against USC 41 to 28 the game wasn't that close I was so impressed Rob by the fact that you know USC comes out just drops 14 points immediately and I wasn't worried I was a little worried, but I wasn't super worried. I, I knew that USC was the better. I'm sorry. You knew that Utah was the better team in this game. I knew that they were at home. They have a good defense. They have a good offense, and they proved me right. Uh, they came back and just were clicking. What what happened in this game? Why did Utah, uh, why were they able to step on the gas? Well, they were able to step on the gas because their offense, which I really thought their offense was going to, uh, you know, in the same way that you could say that they did against Arizona, like you're going to have great field position all night because Arizona's going to be punting. Utah has far better special teams. Um, Tyler Huntley had himself a game in this game uh, against a good USC defense, and Utah really jumped up. I mean, their their offense right now uh, is ranked number 27 in beta rank um, after coming out of this game against USC. So really watch out for the Utes offense. Like Huntley had himself a great game throwing the ball. He was also really effective, um, you know, when he chose to run, uh, which is something that I think Huntley has struggled with in the past is making that decision when to stick it or stick around and throw when to run. Um, but he had some beautiful deep balls. Um, Utah's wide receivers, which uh, I think sort of a lot of you fans have been sort of waiting on um, really came through. But I mean, the, the, the parts that I think you could say like were, where the Utah really turned it was uh, there was a Britain Cubby play where no one seemed to be able to tackle him. And, um, you know, it was almost like every, every, every Pac-12 team has to have their week where they needed to have tackling practice afterwards. And this was it for USC because they really struggled to tackle um, both against uh, Britain Covey and Zach Moss. I mean, 
Utah really just turned on the Jets on offense in this game. Absolutely. I was so impressed with Huntley. 22 for 29, 341 yards, four touchdowns, zero picks. That's a hell of a game, man. We're right on. Uh, Zach Moss, 25 carries for 135 yards. They were able to get it done on the ground. Flipping it around here, just utter incompetence. By the way, um, 14 of USC's uh, 28 points were scored in the fourth quarter when this game was over. So th- this this score is not reflective of what actually happened. Like Utah stomped, stomped on USC. JT Daniels, I have. <laughs> I should have said this a few weeks ago because I was uh, I was talking about it with I forget who it was, but I have not seen more hype for a quarterback that isn't very good in a very long time. Like JT Daniels is a true freshman. I understand that is really difficult to play in a Division One program when you're supposed to be a senior in high school. With that said, like he has not been able to get it done. He's had some beautiful balls, but over the course of the year, I mean, he's what what like where would you rank him, Rob, in the Pac-12 in terms of quarterbacks? Eighth or nine. Yeah. Yeah, nine. Six for 16, 89 yards, touchdown, two picks, and then he got injured. We had a Matt Fink sighting, man. Matt Fink. <laughs> Who wasn't Who then got injured. Yeah. <laughs> Six for seven and a touchdown right on Fink. Get out there. You know, I was curious. Our friend Alicia DeRotola over at the Reina Troy podcast had tweeted out, like, when are we going to see somebody else? This is before Daniels got hurt. And I, I was uh, I thought that was a legitimate question. Like, when is USC going to roll out another quarterback if they can't continue moving the ball forward, which was, again, the case against Utah? Granted, Utah's defense was uh, pretty rough. Rick, let's uh, let's get your thoughts here on this game. Uh, were you surprised that Utah was able to bring the noise against SC? Um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily surprised. I did. I did think that Utah was going to win this game pretty handily just because USC's offense has been so inconsistent this year. Um, and I think that, you know, this, this game was just another, I mean, you kind of asked like what happened in the first half, you know, they got out to a 14, nothing early lead. Uh, you know, a lot of that was Utah, not, you know, performing to what they were capable of. Obviously that second Trojan touchdown was scored on a, on a fumble recovery there. Um, you know, and as soon as Utah settled down, Tyler Huntley definitely established himself as the better quarterback in the game. JT Daniels might be like the eighth or ninth worst quarterback in, in, in the pac 12. Uh, but he definitely has the worst mustache, um, <laughs> <laughs> like full on number 12. I, I, I thought I read something that, that he had gotten a haircut and like shaved it. And I was like, all right, well, that's good. You know, at least UCLA should kind of rebound from that. But uh, yeah, he's got more problems than just that terrible mustache. So yeah, it's going to be a long rebuilding process for USC. It's, it's one that I'm not sure that Todd Helton necessarily survives. I think that at this point he'd probably get away with just firing the offensive coordinator and maybe squeak another year out of it. But unless they can get this offense stabilized, they're not going to be able to do too much in the PAC 12. Um, and I, I don't think that uh, JT Daniels is the guy, at least not at this point, to get it done. You know, one of the questions we got from our permanent sponsor, the Sexual Intellectual, who has been a big fan of the podcast for years, had asked the question, does Clay Helton have a job after this? How hot is his seat? I think it's a little hotter than you likely think it is, Rick. And the reason is, if you talk to the USC fans and that fan base, they are quite aware that, yes, they won a decent amount of games last year, but the games that counted, they got waxed, whether it was Ohio State or Notre Dame. So I think there's this kind of 
undercurrent of yeah yeah whatever the Pac-12 South kind of sucks and uh, you know we've we've been able to beat the teams that we're supposed to beat but does does Helton have what it takes to actually be the coach I am curious I don't think he survives the year particularly if they drop another game but you can't you can't play a Utah program and just get embarrassed like that and, and then when you add the fact like the USC fans were quite aware that they can't move the ball so like after they scored their 14th point somebody had uh, called into the Rain of Troy podcast and basically said I don't think we can move <laughs> or like I wouldn't be surprised if we don't score again like that is the level of uh, uh, skepticism that this program has out of the fact that they can't run the ball Rob like what what do you think Clay's chances are for the rest of the season of actually being the coach at the end I think he could get away with because they have recruited so well I think that he could get away with firing T Martin you know T Martin's out there's the sacrificial lamb we're going to go with a different direction on offense you know like fine um I think you could get away with that um and I, I do think that USC does have some awareness within their athletic department of the cost that they have borne from changing as many coaches as often as they have uh, in the last 10 years. <laughs> you know, like uh, you can only do so many midseason firings. Um, yeah, Lane Kiffin just bought a bottle of Cristal with uh, the check that USC probably still owes him. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I I don't know. I mean, it just if if they if they reach eight wins, and I know that's a really low bar for USC. Um, you know, I, I still look at this US like it just. It, but the other part is it just really all depends on that Notre Dame game at the end too. Like yeah. you could say that you know it's all fine you know until they and you know they reach eight wins, but if they just get waxed by Notre Dame, um, and then I I mean. There are some there are some good teams in the Pac-12. Um, there are no great teams in the Pac-12, um, and there's there's the possibility, depending on how things shake out, where like the Pac-12, like the good teams have to go play great teams in in some very good bowls, um, and some teams like USC who are kind of like in the middle get stuck playing against some good team, you know, and like say the Alamo bowl or something like that, there's a potential that they could get, you know, like somebody could wipe the floor with them again, uh, in a bowl game. And if that happens then all bets are off, Yeah, that's you know, good. Like, I mean, that's a great call back to back 20 point losses to end the season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's nothing's going to save them at that point. I mean, USC fans are going to be done. Um, but I think if, if they manage to play respect, Respectable against Notre Dame. I just I, I look back at this and we talked about this. Like USC's defense is good. Like I don't think that. Like I think the injuries have hurt. I think they've been a little more inconsistent than we'd like. They're thin. Like it shows how thin they are at safety. Um, but the decision to go with JT Daniels just looks worse every week because he's not progressing. Like at no point has JT Daniels gotten any better than he was at the beginning of the season. Um, that that he that first touchdown and get Utah was yet again a poorly thrown JT Daniels ball that a receiver just went up and got. I don't know. Like I just I'm I'm amazed again at that, that decision when I, I think Fink is pretty good. I thought I mean from all accounts, like it was very close in camp and Sears was great too. So um, I I just I guess I look at it and think of like uh, the fact that they really stuck with Daniels through thick and thin through this, through some really bad plays as, you know, like they, they've reaped this, this reward. I'd push back on a couple things. The first being that Fink and Sears were good in camp. I know that Alicia basically 
signs where she just said nobody can complete a pass uh, outside yeah. of the seven on sevens where, you know, I, I'm sure that it was better than, but there certainly was a lot of skepticism on her end on whether or not those two guys. And I think she thought that it was going to be Daniels the whole time because those two, uh, you know, because Sears and Fink weren't getting it done when he wasn't there taking notes with his backpack on on the sidelines. I think the second thing is with USC, they're going to recruit well regardless of who's there for the most part. I mean, unless unless you get someone who's incompetent at, re- at recruiting, USC has been able to pull in top talent year after year regardless of the coach. They had a drunk on the sidelines that was bringing in good uh, recruiting classes. They had Lane Kiffin who was bringing in good recruiting classes. So I do think that, yes, uh, Helton could hang his hat on recruiting, but he likely uh, can do it less than other coaches would be able to to do at other schools if that makes sense. But I do understand, like looking at when we did our USC preview, going like, "Oh, sweet mother of Moses, look at all these players that they have." That is, it's better than normal even at USC. So I, I understand yeah. that front. Um, you know, pivoting to this game against UCLA, we're not certain if Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to start, and I think that makes a difference. I was not impressed with uh, the way that Wilton Spate played against Arizona. Um, if you look at the injury report for UCLA, there are like 15 people on it right now. This is a banged up team that um, is young and is making mistakes. They beat Arizona, but that game was, uh, I mean, there was a lot of penalties and a lot of self-owns from the UCLA program. Uh, Rick, when you take a look at this game, what are some of the keys that you're going to keep an eye on for? Um, I, I really think that this is going to be uh, a situation where so Arizona's wide receivers were able to to really kind of wreak havoc on UCLA's secondary. Um, so I think it bodes really well for Tyler Huntley coming in off of a four touchdown uh, performance against USC. Um, with the line only being at eleven, I think that that kind of uh, gives UCLA a little bit too much credit in playing at home. The Rose Bowl is by no means like the ultimate venue. There are people giving tickets away, um, you know, up to you know thirty minutes before the the game against Arizona. You know, it's it's so tough to get across California in traffic. I know that that's not like a huge excuse. Like you win games, people are going to come out, but you know, so I don't really see giving UCLA too much too many points for home field advantage. I probably would have had this closer to like. Uh, you know, an 18 or 19 point spread. So I think that 11 points is very generous. Um, and so I'm definitely going to be going with Utah in this situation. I want to give a shout out to Utah's defense, which we do early and often, but Chase Hansen had a hell of a game against SC at three tackles for a loss, 11 tackles. Corey Barton has become a player that I think Utah fans thought that he was going to be. I just, I, I'm with Rick. I think that 11 points is lower than i would have anticipated i would have thought it had been around 13 and a half to 15 um for this team and yes it's at the rose bowl but this utah team is on fire the only thing i think this could be is a letdown game like that would be it's the personal reasons not the x's and o's but i'm curious to what your numbers say rob about the game i really like utah in this game i i'm i'm with you too i I, this line makes no sense to me utah uh in this game comes in in the model at a, a 91 percent favorite <laughs> so um that's a lot that's a lot that's a lot closer to 20 points than it is to uh 10 so um that doesn't that does bode well for ucla um the arizona was able to run all over <clears throat> this ucla front i would i would look for utah to be able to run 
you know, all over this UCLA front as well. Uh, and if they don't have Dorian Thompson Robinson there, um, and Utah is able to just stack the line and take away Joshua Kelly running the ball, like this is going to be a really long night because Utah's got a good secondary. They can cover. Um, I would, I don't, there's not much about this game other than like if, Tyler Huntley just has a doozy of a game and you have some bad fumble luck. Like, you know, like I I would expect Utah to cover 10 points pretty handily unless they have like three or four turnovers. Or if you have an uninterested defense, I mean, there is that letdown factor. That's probably the biggest one. I know USC isn't what it should be this year, but um, that's a big win for them in the Pac-12 South. And that means a ton to that Utah team. Uh, Just, I think they know that they've crossed the barrier. So just, Keep that in mind. I mean, I'm going to take Utah, and I'll probably put some money on this. By the way, this is why you should have two books. Is uh, One book has it at 10. One of them has it at 11. Uh, I took the MyBookie one for the 11, which is what we're doing for this segment. But, uh, you know, that that one point is can be important, right? That's a, a field goal and a touchdown. <laughs> so uh, with that said, though, I still i am going to take Utah, and it'll be interesting to see if they'll be able to cover and, and live up to uh, expectations in this game because I do think there is a possibility where they just come out flat but still win the game anyway um any, anything else on this game before we go to the next one hearing none saturday at noon oregon state a 24 a 24 point friggin underdog man at on the road at colorado oregon state is a mess and uh this line is rightly so high um colorado comes off a loss against washington we'll talk about that game here colorado 13 washington 27 Colorado came out strong. I think they went up 10-0, but Washington, and it could have been uh, 14-0. They ended up uh, settling for the field goal, but Washington was the better team. They had the better depth, uh, and Colorado didn't score in the second half, which I thought was great. Rick, let's go with you first. Did you have a chance to uh, watch the Washington-Colorado game? Um, I only watched a little bit of it, just kind of in between other games, just because uh, they're kind of more important games to my day going on um, at, at the time, but I, I, I expected Colorado to maybe I, I did end up taking, I think the spread was like 17. So I, I, I took Colorado and, and, uh, and the points. Um, so I was, I was glad that they were able to keep it within kind of that two touchdown range. Um, but I expected it to be even kind of a little bit closer than that. I think that, um, you know, like we, we talked about earlier with them kind of getting away from their, their game plan of letting Steven Montez throw the ball about 40 to 50 times a game, I thought really kind of affected their offense. Um, and I look for them to get back to that, uh, against Oregon state. There's definitely an opportunity for them to score a lot of points in this game. Um, you know, I just really, once it starts to get towards that 30 point spread line, those are games that I don't really like to bet on personally. Um, you know, but I guess, you know, for, for all intents and purposes of this conversation, uh, it's really hard to put any kind of, you know, money real or fake on Oregon state at this point. Um, you know, so, so Colorado, I I look for them to to put up a lot of points and, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and and give up those points. This situation. What was that rule of Rick that you came up with last year, Rick with the big spreads? Do you remember? Uh, I don't know. The bigger the spread, stay away. I probably worded it a lot better <laughs> than last year, but yeah, you know, like once you get into like those, those really big spread games, like at that point, like, unless you're betting on, on there being some kind of, uh, you know, big upset, those are games that you should just stay away from because they can really go either way. I mean, the, the huge spreads, 
you know, all, all, all that you really to have, you know, the, the team that's favored come out flat for one quarter. And all of a sudden uh, that, that four spread game is more like a, a three touchdown spread game. Um, you know, there's just too many, too many, too many variables. Two things to keep in mind here. LaVisca Chenault still listed as questionable against Oregon State uh, with a toe injury. I would argue probably a head injury, too, just based on that hit that he took. Uh, I think it was against USC. And then Washington, Miles Gaskin still have his shoulder. He missed uh, the game against... Um, Whoever they played, uh, Colorado. Duh. He was <laughs> the game against Colorado and uh, is uncertain uh, for uh, Washington's game coming up, just to throw that out there. Rob, I watched a decent amount of this game, but wanted to get your thoughts on what happened. Yeah, I, I really think I was two things I was surprised about. One was that uh, I actually think Colorado's defense had a pretty decent game. Uh, in this game um, and really in a lot of ways outshone their offense and what would had to be a frustrating game for the Colorado defense to, to play so well, even with the injuries that they have um, in this game, but to go up to Washington and to, to kind of put together the game they had and be let down by their offense, I um, had to be disappointing. And um, I think it's good. I mean, the Colorado defense really took a step back last year after um, the year they had under Jim Levitt when they won the the South, but uh, they look, they look pretty respectable this year. Uh, but I was surprised uh, as Rick was again, you know, with Colorado's offense here I, I, and not to take anything away. Washington has a good defense. Um, you know, they, after this, the week they had, they grade out once again, tops in the pac 12. But, uh, I, I was surprised by what Colorado didn't have an answer yet again. I mean, last week they, when they went into the Coliseum and, um, USC was really able to effectively shut down their screen game. Uh, and they didn't have an, they didn't have much of an answer after that. Uh, and in this game, I mean, Colorado just didn't was not able to throw the ball downfield, um, which has been one of their MOs. And you can talk about, you know, they've, they've had, you know, to, you know, Chenault out. Uh, and I know they had another wide receiver out as well, but they got Juwan Winfrey back for this game. Um, they were supposed to have much more depth at wide receiver uh, than I think that they, they showed in this game. And, um, you know, if, if Montez is, and, and Chivarini is, is just got to have better answers. I mean, I know a lot of the folks up in Boulder are really high on him. Um, you know, and, you know, the, a lot of folks have been throwing around that he's going to be, you know, gone so quickly. He's going to have a head coaching job. Like, not after the last two weeks, like he has not, he's not had answers. He's not had good game plans. Um, you know, like they, they really need to, to saddle up, but when you get to play and there's no, there's no two ways about it. Oregon state has the number 130 ranked defense <laughs> in all of college football. Um, when you let Cal put up a 49 spot on you and Cal has a horrendous offense, um, this is just what the doctor ordered for Colorado's offense. I mean, it, I don't care who's playing. I mean, Colorado has a 98.4 win probability in this game. Um, I, it is, you're right, Rick. I mean, it's tough because without Chenault, you know, you get one turnover, you know, 24 points. I mean, Colorado is roughly like a 31 point favorite in the model, but, um, one thing goes wrong and, you know, they don't cover. Um, the one thing is, you know, Oregon state with Jamar Jefferson, like, I'm not sure what his status is for this game. Um, he was a little banged up against Cal, uh, and they really had a tough Oregon state really had a tough, uh, offensive outing. Um, Blount got hurt. Um, they brought in their third string quarterback against Cal. Like they had a really tough time in that game. Um, 
I would, uh, I, I think I would take Colorado to, to, to cover in this. Um, and like, just cause I have no faith in the Beavers, uh, particularly if Jefferson, uh, is, is in any way banged up, even if he plays, if he's playing banged up, like, uh, it could be a tough outing for them against a decent Colorado defense. Whatever this, this line could be 35 and I'd take Colorado. I, <laughs> and I, and I realize that like, and, and to answer your question, Rob, um, Connor Blantz listed as questionable. Jamar Jefferson is listed as questionable. Jake Luton is, is, uh, listed as questionable. So, um, <laughs> good Lord, Oregon state oh my gosh uh i have two questions for you though the first is who else is going to run the football like let's say trayvon mcmillan gets hurt or something i mean kyle evans is their backup and that guy has had like 45 touches all game so it'd be interesting to see whether or not they get him in the game and if he also runs for 200 yards against this oregon state uh defense because he could and right but my bigger question is uh, you know, our friends at the free ball podcast definitely pointed to the wide receiving core and they were right about Chenault, but they also had, like you mentioned, you know, Juwan Winfrey, they pointed to him and Tony Brown and Katie Nixon has Chenault's success cloaked the fact that the other wide receivers aren't as good as we thought they were, because that's the impression that I have at this point. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's fair to ask that question. I think Chenault definitely um, focuses the defense on him when he's in the game. Uh, and I think the other receivers have definitely benefited from that. Um, I think Nixon's had a very good year sort of hitting cleanup behind Chenault, you could argue. Uh, but it's, it's worth asking. I mean, with these, these guys, as we've seen them both in parts of that USC game and against Washington, which is has a very good defense and secondary, if they, if they can sort of stand on their own. I don't know that it's all on them. I think some of this is scheme. I don't think Chivarini in, in both cases, he didn't have the same game plan uh, against Washington uh, as he did against USC, but um, he didn't, he didn't, you, I don't think you could argue that he really put his team in a position to win. Um, even though, and I would also say Colorado's offensive line didn't have a huge game. Montez had enough time pretty often uh, in that game to, to maybe even throw the ball downfield. But you you have to, have to ask the question. We don't get to see the all 22, like were guys even getting open, um, you know, like, or did they just decide to, to not, you know, try that? Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to the next game. And Rick, for posterity, did you take Colorado in the points? Yeah, for posterity, I did. Okay, all right. Twelve thirty. ASU at USC. There's no line on this game. I'm assuming because they're trying to see whether or not JT Daniels is playing. But uh, so ASU had an interesting game. Thirteen to Stanford's twenty. And Rob, I think we're going to disagree on this game because I thought that Stanford was by far the better team. I thought they really let the foot off the gas, and we'll talk about that in a second. But. they were the better team. They were the most more athletic team. I thought they clearly dominated, obviously, the first half. And and then David Shaw went all David Shaw. And my favorite quote besides, you know, saying that David Shaw doesn't like math was one of the announcers said, well, Stanford can't go in their shell here, can they? And I'm like, have you watched any Stanford game for the last 10 years? Of course they're going to go in their shell and run up the middle, run up the run, run up the middle, run up the middle, you know, three and out, run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle, three and out. And then they did it again, man. They did like nine just straight up gut plays and uh, Costello's throwing his helmet on the sideline because, and rightly so, because of the play calling on that front. But they seemed to give ASU every chance to win that game and ASU just could not not do it. I thought Manny Wilkins came out uh, really poorly in that second half. It just wasn't able to, to close the deal. But what do you think? 
Well, you can flip that around and say, like, man, like ASU gave Stanford every shot to win that game. <clears throat> I mean, so ASU, if you're if you, if you're an ASU fan, you are 20 yards from tying the game being minus three on turnovers in that game. Like, come on. Like, I mean, even if you said Stanford went off the gas, like they didn't go three possessions off the gas, um, you know, to, to just hand the ball over to ASU. Like, I I, I just, I, I think, don't get me wrong, like ASU wasn't sharp. I think Stanford had a good game on top of it, mostly defensively. I don't think the Stanford offense had a terrific game in that game. But um, the... Uh, I think ASU, like when they look back at that game, they're going to see that Manny Wilkins wasn't really sharp. The receivers in particular also didn't do him any favors. Um, I mean, they really threw away a game that they, they should have won. Like, I, I think that overall that uh, they probably should have won. Yeah, and Rob, you had wanted Manny Wilkins to throw the ball, and boy, did he oblige. 26 of 43 yeah. attempts for 353 yards, and no touchdowns through a pick, and so did Nikhil Harry uh, end up throwing a pick, too. It's interesting. You know Benjamin touched the ball 11 times, so they, they definitely took that advice and he just wasn't sharp uh, rick did did you have a chance to, to watch this game yeah i actually watched the end of the game while i was at the gym um you know and i'm running on the treadmill and i'm talking to the guys next to me about just how asu had kind of put themselves into a position to tie up this game at the end and how they just did not execute i mean there's that that final play where Herm Edwards thinks that they can get back to the line of scrimmage and, and spike the ball with, you know, three seconds left. And, you know, for that last play, you either got to throw the ball into the end zone or you got to get out of bounds. There's no in between, uh, preferably the former. You got to, you got to take a shot at the end zone. You got to give Nikhil Harry, who's the best player on your team, a chance to tie this game up for your team. Um, you know, and he was only targeted once on the, on that drive. Uh, so, you know, it's definitely some, some coaching decisions that are head scratchers there from, from her to Edwards and the crew. Um, I think that ultimately what, uh, what, what this game boiled down to is just the amount of pressure that Stanford was able to put on Manny Wilkins. Yeah. He threw for 43 times, but he probably got hit on every single one of those throws. I mean, Stanford was in his <laughs> yeah. face all day. Uh, you know, so a lot of credit to Manny Wilkins for standing in there and taking all of that punishment. Uh, you know, hopefully he doesn't feel the effects of that this week. But, um, you know, that that was where Stanford's defense, I think, really kind of set the tone for the game was, you know, if Manny Wilkins is going to be thrown as much as he is, we're going to make him work for every throw. Um, you know, and Nikhil Harry, I think, did a really good job of keeping Arizona in the game. They obviously spread the ball around and, you know, were able to get the ball, you know, uh, in, into the hands of their running backs through the air as well, through through passing opportunities. But, uh, you know, ASU, you, you know, you can argue all day whether it was Stanford who let ASU back in or ASU just kind of like hung around. Um, you know, but ultimately the execution wasn't there for them to pull this off. And I think that that's ultimately what separated them from the Stanford team. A couple items to keep in mind. You had Bryce Love that came out of the game with another aggravated ankle injury. So it'll be interesting to see if he ends up playing uh, in the future. I would assume so. But we live in a world where Stanford doesn't have a backup running back. I mean, Cameron Scarlett is not the guy. Trevor Sprites is not the guy. Or Spates is not the guy. And you kind of wonder, like, what are they doing uh, on the recruiting? trail i remember when we wrote our preview for stanford i'm like where are the running backs on this team outside of bryce love and the answer is they they aren't there so it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can move the ball on the ground and i think this bodes well for washington state in their matchup with them Uh, another item to keep in mind is asu had 12 tackles for a loss in this game 12 so it wasn't like they weren't able to get in the backfield as well uh rob any any other items we should mention in this game 
Yeah, I mean, would you? I mean, that's the one of the things that I think ASU had a complaint about, and it's a little bit legitimate um, about it. I'm sure Danny Gonzalez is going to get fined for his comments, but like the the game was the ASU had some pretty ticky tacky pass interference called at points in the game. I mean, there was a ball that KJ Costello basically short armed. Um, and, and it's not just the normal, like my, one of my personal least favorite things is the underthrown ball pass interference. But, um, KJ Costello basically like hit the defensive back practically in the feet, um, you know, skipped it into his feet and they got a pass interference called on it. Um, like, I don't know that Stanford, you know, even gets to 20 points in this game without some of those PI calls. Um, so I, I do have more concerns about the Stanford offense sort of, and how they're functioning, uh, coming out of this week than I've, I've had in a while. Uh, at least since, I mean, don't get me wrong, but they got mauled by Utah and, Notre Dame, but Utah and Notre Dame have very good defensive fronts that really put, you know, the fear of God into Costello. Uh, ASU, you know, like while they were getting, they were aggressive and getting around and getting in the backfield to, to hit running backs. Like they didn't really get to Costello quite enough, as much as you would have liked uh, in this game. And um, I, I think it doesn't bode well for them heading into a game where they're going to have to try to keep up with Gardner Minshew. I, point out that the throw from Manny Wilkins at the end of the game likely was on Manny Wilkins. I mean, and as the quarterback, you got to know that. And the reason I oh, was, that was, that was a Manny Wilkins, like Manny Wilkins wasn't sharp in this game. Um, at all that was definitely on him but um there was there was just it was a the, like I, i'm sure asu is pretty mad at themselves after this game and also a little bit mad at the refs for some pretty sketchy pass interference i mean and then that call like i mean manny wilkins they didn't get a late hit like the guy hit manny wilkins out of bounds and then rolled on top of him later as they went out of bounds and they, they had no late hit on that call like and then the next play manny wilkins fumbles it like just weird weird game (laughs) i love the herm edwards face where it's just and it's not mocking him it's more him realizing that he's coaching 18 year olds it was just like ah, these freaking guys (laughs) like that was his face when uh wilkins threw the ball for like in the flat or whatever at the end of the game he's like ah it's freaking this freaking oh yeah well uh, no i mean but herm i mean the whole clock i mean rick's right like the clock management that's atrocious at the end i mean and that is all on herm i mean just like, I mean, don't you guys practice two-minute drill? Like, come on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point to make. Um, so ASU has USC on the road, and I like I like ASU in this game. I think that USC is weak. Uh, they have a quarterback possible controversy or and or an injured quarterback. They can't run the football. I know that ASU's run defense isn't great, but um, I just don't trust this USC offense. The one thing that really gives me pause and I forgot about this when the Colorado game was happening when they played USC is USC plays well at home. They always play well at home and uh, particularly in conference, but Man, I, I'm kind of bullish. I'm curious what you think, Rick. Yeah, that was actually a point that I was going to bring up myself. Was I, I was going to say, if this game was being played in Tempe, I'd definitely have some money on ASU this weekend. But uh, with, with USC you know, and that, that home field advantage, this Arizona State team, they do a lot of things well, but one of the things that they haven't done well so far is play, play on the road. So 
you know, you, you have kind of both of those things coming to a head here. So I'm sorry, did you say what the spread was in this game? There isn't a spread because they're uncertain whether or not JT Daniels and Bryce Love are going to play. Mm-hmm. I'd have to imagine that USC would probably be somewhere in the, that six to eight point range as far as a favorite is concerned. Um, and I do like them to kind of score, you know, uh, a decent amount of points on this ASU defense. I'd probably put USC, you know, at about three touchdowns and a field goal, so 24 points. Uh, ASU's offense, I feel like, will be good for about two touchdowns against this USC defense, even though they're they're pretty banged up. Um, so if the the line is set at like six to eight points, I would probably take USC. If it's going to be more like ten or twelve points, then I'd be looking at ASU. You know, Rick, I, I am. I'm hesitant to do this, but if you were to give me seven points, if you were to give me ten points, I would gobble them up and uh, and uh, might might sprinkle a little on the money line there. Might do a little sprinkle, sprinkle. What do you think, Rob? So the model has this as a true toss up um, <clears throat> right now, and I, if you give me anything, uh, any points towards UC or towards USC, like I'm going to take ASU uh, in this game. Like it's. Uh, I just I don't have any faith in USC's offense. Um, some of USC's defensive ranking is coming from when they had Porter Gustin. He's out for the year. Uh, not that I don't think that. Like I mean, this this matchup is going to be ASU's pretty good offense against USC's pretty good defense, um, and then ASU's not very good defense against USC's not at all good offense. I just I have no. I have no idea what Jack Sears would look like. I would probably actually have more faith if JT Daniels was going to play that ASU might win this game. <laughs> That's never a good sign. <laughs> I know. Like, please, please bring your starter back. Um, but I'll take, I'll take ASU in this game. Like my, my guess is if Sears plays like him, ASU might be like a one point favorite or it's a push. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And we all reserve the right to change our pick to many on the line here. So, uh, but I am bullish. I, uh, mm-hmm. ASU hasn't won on the road yet this year. I'm just saying. Okay, okay. No, that's fair. And and the Coliseum thing does scare me. Uh, I I know that USC plays better there than on the road. Let's move to the next game here. It is at 3.30 p.m. Washington is a 10.5-point favorite at Cal. Cal stomped on Oregon State. I don't want to spend a ton of time on here other than to mention that Jamar Jefferson, I think, played for one series. So you didn't have that uh, offensive threat, the one offensive threat in, in Oregon State. State. Uh, Freaking Patrick Laird had a heck of a game. 22 carries for almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. He was everywhere, and that guy was flexing around and stuff. I'm like, where have you been this whole year, man? But uh, everybody shows up when they play Oregon State's defense. Chase Garbers had three touchdowns and zero picks, so that was pretty exciting. But I think this just shows you how bad, Rob, Oregon State's defense is, right? Yeah, I mean, they're the worst defense in all of college football. Yes. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so... Ten and a half points at Cal for Washington. Like this Cal team is bad, right? So this Cal team is bad. Their offense comes in ranked at number one twenty-four. They have a good defense, right? Coming in ranked at number twenty-nine. Uh, they get a bit of a bump. I don't know if it's quite fair. They did. I mean, Oregon State's the offense has been better than expected this year, um, but they. I think they get a bit of an unfair bump from having you know taken on a non-Jamar Jeffersonated Oregon State offense. Um, but Washington's got almost a 91% win probability in this game. <clears throat> That's more than 10 points. Like I, I really like Washington in this game. I think that I think they'll have a tougher time than expected against this Cal defense, which is pretty good. But um, I think Cal's offense just uh, punt, 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 turnover. Yeah, Rick. How is Cal going to score points? And do you think they're going to score enough to cover 10 and a half points? 
I don't think Cal's going to score any points. Um, <laughs> nice. I, to, to be honest, I think that this is a real situation uh, where Washington can really blow the doors open early in this game. Um, you know, the, that 91% win probability that kind of bodes where I was thinking with, with, you know, like a 16 to an 18 point spread on the road. Uh, obviously you hate to, to really bet on those high, high spread road favorites, but, um, I don't think that this is going to be close by any stretch of the means. So, um, I'm sorry, I, I keep missing it. Did you say what the spread was? 10 and a half points. Yeah, I'm definitely taking Washington and giving up those points. I think that it, it ha- this has the potential to be like a three to four touchdown blowout win for them. Yeah, I'm going to take that too. And Rob's numbers make me feel better about that. Uh, moving on, 4 p.m. Washington State is a three point underdog. Underdog, a three point underdog on the road against Stanford. This line surprised me. And this is one of those Vegas like, come on in, like we we have free fries, free free French fries. You want a shrimp cocktail? And then they just just chop your head off um this could be a letdown game for washington state and i don't like it one bit with that said washington had a heck of a game against oregon man that first half was awesome and rob let me throw it to you what happened there why why did why did washington state just tear up oregon and i know it got close i know it got close but it didn't at the end either because uh gardner Minshew remembered that he was gardner Minshew. but what what did you see in this game well i mean washington state just i mean they were they had it completely rolling in the first half and Oregon certainly did not. Uh, Herbert wasn't sharp. His receivers weren't sharp. Washington state was very good shutting down the run, uh, all game, which is surprising because they're a small defense, uh, overall. And, uh, they've struggled a bit this year and Oregon's got a decent offense and they ran the ball effectively last week, uh, or the week before against Washington, which is a good defense. Um, but yeah, Oregon just couldn't get it going. Washington state raced out, put up some points, you know, four touchdowns, um, in the second half it tightened up a bit, but, uh, Washington state was still able to walk away with a two position, two possession win. I mean, and even with that, like Gardner Minshew had two interceptions. So, you know, it was not, uh, even if people said it looked close at the end, like, Washington state may have sweated it, but you, you beat a team by two possessions and gave up two possessions. Like Washington state was pretty comfortably the better team in this game. Yeah. Four touchdowns, two picks. I thought it was great that they almost Washington state almost rushed for a hundred yards. So that was a curious, a curiosity on my end, which was nice to see them switch it up when they needed to Rick, you have any thoughts on this game here? It was, it was quite fun to watch. As far as the Washington state Oregon game is concerned. Yes. Yeah, I so yeah, it was definitely a ton of fun. You know, the Gardner Gardner Minshew, you know, just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, he's a he's a guy that we didn't even really talk about coming into the season, and he's got almost three thousand yards passing for this Washington State offense, which is just at this point in the season already, that's it's freaking phenomenal. Uh, you know, and Stanford really struggled against Manny Wilkins. You know, they allowed him to throw for almost four hundred yards. So, um, you know, the Stanford secondary is really going to be tested in this game. I was as surprised as you were that Washington State was not favored in this game. Um, I think that they're giving a little bit too much credit to Stanford playing at home um, because I think that this has a real potential to, uh, um, you know, have you said you said letdown game. I don't think it's going to be a letdown game for Washington State. I think the opposite is going to happen. I think that they're going to try and take firm control of the reins here in the north. Uh, Mike Leach has his team fired up and firing on all cylinders. Um, and so I'm, I'm definitely sprinkling on the money line. Where's my beat at? Oh, Dang it. There it is. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, one thing with this team 
is we are still due for a Mike Leach brain fart game. And I thought it was the Oregon State game, and it was in the first half, and then Washington State came back. I want to take Washington State so bad. I want to sprinkle money on the money line. Uh, Rob, I'm sure your numbers probably show, what is this, maybe, like I would assume that Washington State would be favored in your numbers, right? Washington State comes in with a 74% win probability in the game. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What Um, is that, like a 7 or 10-point favorite? Yeah, based on on my analysis, that's about an 11-point favorite. So I would definitely sprinkle on the money line for this game. I'm going to. Here's the thing with it is that Stanford definitely improved off of last week, uh, you know, playing against ASU. Um, And they still have some some fairly good work on their resume, if you will, from earlier in their year. But the offense, um, I mean, I don't know what they're – I don't know what Vegas is sort of thinking that Washington – that, you know, Stanford's offense is going to hang their hat on in this game. Um, And definitely I don't think that Stanford's defense is – has, has shown that they can um, show up and, and shut somebody down like Gardner Minshew. So I, I'm, I'm a little, I was very, very surprised. And I would say a letdown game, but Washington's like Vegas almost sets it up where it's not a letdown game by, by making Stanford the favorite. Uh, I just, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to take Washington state for sure, but I am not going to bet the house on this, which like, this will be one of the bets I make. It probably won't be the best, the biggest bet I make, even though all those numbers point, I am just so nervous on those letdown games. And like, I know, yeah, yeah. Like Leach will say, Oh, whatever the lines three and all that stuff. But it still doesn't change the fact that it's Mike Leach in a big game after coming off of a big game. And <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy inside, but sounds like we're all taking Washington state, right? Yeah. I, I don't 1000% subscribe to, to the beta rankings when I'm placed my bets, but based on, you know, the, you know what I'm attributing towards beta ranking. Um, Washington State would have to be favored by 13 points for me to stay away from this game. And so the fact that they're not favored means that I'm definitely betting on this game. Okay. Okay. Uh, last game, the nightcap. Arizona is always the nightcap. Oregon at Arizona. Um, Arizona. Ugh, just, just talk to me, Rick. Talk to me about this game. Um, where do you want to go for drinks in the second quarter? <laughs> that's a, that's probably the right question to ask. Uh, man, that front seven of Oregon is just going to give us fits. I know Rob, that you had mentioned that they, um, haven't put as much pressure on, uh, on the quarterbacks. I think that changes in this game. I know the Arizona offensive line had a good game against UCLA, but, um, it'll be, I'm just curious to see how Rhett Rod, uh, reacts the key to this game is the fact that Oregon's secondary is not good and but red rodriguez isn't good but arizona can start moving the ball but i just don't trust arizona's defense to stop um oregon's offense and i think that there's no line on this game but what did we say the the line was going to be what did you think it would be rob and what do your numbers say on it uh, so Oregon comes into this game as a uh, 83% win probability. Um, you know, that's closer to 17 ish points, you know, maybe even 20. Uh, I, I don't, there's not a lot to, to hang your hat on. If you're Arizona here, like you need to force some turnovers to, to really stay in this game or hope that Herbert is just unbelievably off. Uh, in the game, but I, I would expect Oregon comes in and tries to establish the run, something they were definitely not able to do. Um, and they were 
outrushed, I believe, by Washington State <laughs> last week. Wouldn't have expected that. Um, I would expect them to come in and try to establish a run in this game uh, with either Verdell or Die, um, and they should be able to to throw the ball against Arizona secondary, who at this point is you know running out walk-ons and freshmen. Yeah, I'm taking a look at the injury report here. Uh, C.J. Verdell is questionable. Taj Griffin, whatever. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a blast from the past. Um, I was just looking for for any of the Die brothers, and they are not on the injury report right now. So um, I'll keep an eye on that. But just big picture with Oregon, like you had mentioned, Rob, before we started recording, not a terrible schedule after after that loss to Washington State. They have Utah on the road; that'll be a big game, and ASU. But certainly can finish this year out uh, really on a high note and get a good bowl game. It'll be interesting to see who they are matched up with and how they play. But uh, did you guys see? By the way, there was a report that was saying that Justin Herbert is likely not to enter the NBA draft. Did you guys see that? Well, I hope he's not going in the NBA draft. Yeah, I was oh, going to say, does he, does he play basketball? <laughs> it's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, the money is way better in the NBA. So, like, if you have a kid and they're good at either football or basketball, like, send them to the NBA. But <laughs> No, it's the NFL if, draft. On, honestly, if, if, if you have a kid who could play football or basketball at the college level, he could probably play baseball as well and it's guaranteed money guaranteed money in baseball always always steer your kids towards baseball sports fans absolutely always baseball okay well i mean just as arizona fans uh just covering this game just a reminder if you're an oregon fan and you're listening to this uh arizona's defense is terrible it is terrible and justin herbert should have a field day um you should be able to run the game uh, run the ball against this arizona front seven now the defensive line is getting a little bit better with uh, rushing the quarterback which is a good sign if you're an arizona fan but um i mean rhett rodriguez even if khalil tate gets into this game he needs to be 100 percent healthy because when he's not running he is not the quarterback that arizona needs and the offense was terrible when, while he was playing so you know we'll keep an eye on the the spread but am i am i missing anything here in this game guys i know we kind of breeze through it but um so i want to make sure to hammer a few things if uh you know you're listening to this podcast and you're generally curious as to to why this game we're so down on this game just go through and look at the roster size disparities between arizona and oregon just go through and like look at like the offensive linemen for example on oregon's team versus like the size of the offensive linemen for arizona team and you can take every single position at that and and compare and i mean genuinely see just how undersized and uh you know for that for that matter underdeveloped this Arizona team has compared to an Oregon team. You know, this is an Oregon team that is 100% a division one caliber program, um, you know, who's capable of competing year in and year out uh, to make that college football playoff. Um, and this Arizona team is not even close as far as the size factor is concerned. So um, that's why that's the main reason why I'm so down and out about it is, uh, you know, this Arizona team's going to get killed. Yeah, there was points in the UCLA game where Arizona was starting two freshman cornerbacks and likely one of them will at some point have to guard Dylan Mitchell in this game. And, and I, uh, I fear for his life. So uh, it'll be interesting. Rob, any what are some other keys to the game here before we wrap up? I mean, the keys to the game, if you're Arizona, you need to be able to throw the ball. Oregon's defense grades out at 108 against the pass. Like, it's not a great defense over at all, but they're particularly bad against the pass. Um, and so you, you, you just hope you can sort of keep 
Rodriguez upright enough to, to hopefully find some open receivers. Um, Arizona definitely has to hope for uh, Herbert to not be sharp and to uh, that Oregon's offensive line to, to give up some pressure. But I do think that Oregon's offensive line is, is hurting a little bit with Sewell out for it's now, I think, five weeks. It was six weeks last week. So um, just their all-star freshman uh, tackle, I believe, although he may have been playing something else. It, it's really, really late on these coaches time right now yeah. <laughs> um but he uh i mean I, I think they missed him against washington um and i don't think they're quite as deep in their where they want to be in their depth chart for uh, the transformation they're trying to make to some bigger bodies right now so he he definitely was missed in that uh game against washington state and i don't know that Arizona has the horses to necessarily exploit it, but I also would say that Arizona's defense is actually not really grading out any worse than Washington State's defense did. So uh, maybe you get lucky. That's interesting. Yeah, one other Washington State's defense is not very good this year, but they 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 did have a good game last week. So kudos to them. Okay. One other thing to keep in mind is Arizona is very thin everywhere. So when you get into the third and fourth quarter, you want to put a little sleazy money on some stuff that might be a pick. I mean, just, you know, get a feel for the game. I don't want to tell you to do something and then you lose money on it. But um, that is likely where Oregon pulls away if they don't in the first half. So something to keep in mind. Uh, that is it for this week, except for our contest. We have our eliminator pool where we had 65 entries, 17 remain. We have had a couple of lost souls uh, this week, and they include Dan Duran, Philly Joel, AZ Fan One, OC Wildcat Joey, and Go Buffs two two oh four six five seven four two seven six five one seven at sign underscore one. You are missed. We'll catch you next year. Yeah. 17 left. Get those eliminator picks in. Rob, you're still alive, right? I am. And I, I set myself up well with uh, burning cow this week. I, I actually feel good. Cause I would have like had heartburn if I had taken UCLA, but I think I've got, uh, oh, I'm a little worried. I've got USC still to finish, but I think they've still got Oregon state to play. Um, so I've got USC, uh, I think I might have Washington state and somebody else, Stanford, I think, or maybe it's Oregon. I've got, I've got Oregon, USC, UCLA, and uh, Stanford still to pick. So I, 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 I I just need to figure out if I want to like, if I believe in UCLA at all down the stretch, I don't think I do. I think it's like, save it to the end. Yeah. Just, just hope everybody else loses. Yeah. That's probably the, (laughs) Uh, one more thing to mention is our, run the gauntlet contest where we pick against the spreads. We are giving away two tickets to your team's college basketball uh, game. If you can knock off all six of our hosts, mano y mano picks against the spread every week. And we're tearing it up guys. So I'm 32 and 19 against the spread. Nora 33 challenged me yet again. We tied, tied, tied. I knocked him off and then they he challenged me and he went five and one man in advances. So shout out to Nora 33. I went four and two this week and I still got defeated. Rick Denice is 31 and 20 on the year. Rick Powell, you had two challengers. So you went 22 and 29 so far against the spread. You went five and one this week. How do you think you did against C team and Gronky Kong, Rick? Um, you know, they, they brought their A games. Um, I don't really think that anyone was actually expecting for them to win as, um, you know, I've beaten all challengers 
so far at this point in the season. Uh, you know, but good effort, guys. You know, we'll you know come come at me again next week. We can try it again. Um, but uh, let's be honest: if you're challenging me, you're not winning this contest. Yeah, Rick. How does it feel to be a stone cold killer? Um, you know, my mom when uh, I was born. That's actually what she told the nurse. She said that that kid is a stone cold killer. <laughs> when you just stared into the nurse's eyes and didn't say a peep when you were born, that's that's uh, you got those dirty yeah, and then dead eyes, like a doll's eyes. And, and, and then I told the nurse to uh, to go ahead and, and and put some money on USC for me, and uh, you know that was the first bet that I ever ever made and <laughs> paid off. Well, you eliminated C Team and Gronky Kong yet again. Bring the noise next week, gentlemen. Um, Adam Adam's been tearing it up, man. He, I think he's I think he's fifteen and three or something in the last three weeks. He is now twenty eight and twenty three against the spread, five and one this week. He defeated Height of Excellence, who was eliminated. Uh, Rob, you went four and two on the week, twenty eight and twenty three on the season against the spread, and. Rob Ronnie, the Conger Choo Choo, which apparently Josh, I don't know what Josh is trying to say with his names, but he uh, inserted himself as the Conger Choo Choo. Uh, he went two and four, as did Ronnie. They tie. So uh, bring the noise again, Josh, and we will see you next week. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. Anything else we need to mention before we sign off here? No, we, it's, it's, we're in the midst of it all, and we, I think we covered it all. Right on. Right on, guys. Well, thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for MyBookie.ag for joining us. Definitely check them out. Get, a, get your money matched up to uh, at least $100 and join us. Join us with the party. We would love to have you. And thanks, guys. We'll catch you next week.